Hello, everyone. My name is Sarah. Oh, no, sorry, hang on a minute. Put those notes there. No. No, my name is Tom, if you don't know me. Uh, yeah, I'm one of the elders here. I've been coming here for 16 or 17 years or so, uh, and it's a real privilege to be speaking to you here this morning. Um, we're still looking at the, the books of Two Thessalonians. We're stuck in there. Um, but I'm going to start off this morning with a joke. Why do cows have hooves and not feet? <laughs> because they lack toes. <laughs> it's a good one, isn't it? Oh, so, right, is everyone warmed up now? Good, okay, right, so let's get into the text. Let's read what the Bible has to say. So chapter two, if you turn with me to verses 13, we're going to read through to verses 17, and it'll be on the screen behind me. But we ought always to give thanks to you, give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So I'm going to pick up on the first two verses of that chunk of text, and then Sarah's going to come and share the next few verses. So both times that Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, which still exists, I didn't realize that, it still exists, Thessalonicae um, is a place in Greece. I didn't have time to do a map. I'm sorry, I've let you down. But Paul, he chooses in both times, in both letters, to recognize and celebrate the work that God has done in the life of the church. And he highlights here, again, that he needs to thank God. He ought to thank God. There's a responsibility. It's right that he thank God. And it's important that he thanks God for what he sees God doing in the church. He can't reflect on the progress that God has made without thanking God and reminding them that they are deeply loved. These people are so dear to him. He knows them and he cares deeply for them. Listen to the words here. Brothers beloved by the Lord. Beloved. Dearly loved. This is terminology reserved for the most intimate relationships and it's being expressed by the God of the universe for his church over his children. God in all of his glory in all of his power, in all of his splendor, in all of his holiness, he chooses to delight in you. Psalm 147 verses 4 to 5 says, He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Exodus 15, verse 6 says, Your right hand, O Lord, Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. 
Job 26.14 says, Behold, these are just the outskirts of your ways. How small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his power, who can understand? God is unsearchable. He's uncomprehendable, which is my word, I made it up. He's unfathomable. He's unstoppable. He's unattainable. He's unimaginable. He's unquestioning. His presence is almost unbearable. But this God, he says to you, you are my dearly beloved children. You are my dearly beloved children. He loves you. Hallelujah. Lord, we just, we just celebrate, Father God, your love over us. We celebrate and rejoice in the fact that you deeply love us. You don't have to. You're the God of the universe, but you choose to. And you delight in us, and you tuck us in like a heavenly father into your purposes. Thank you, Lord. Let's go back to the text here. It says, God chose you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So let's unpack this. Firstly, there's a slightly unusual term to ask of first fruits. And this could either be referring to the church being the first group of believers in the area, but in the context of the latter part of this text, which we'll come to, specifically around eternity, it seems to me it's reminding the church that they were chosen from the very beginning of time itself to be part of God's great eternal plan. And we should be reminded that no one here is in this room by chance. You're here because God chose you before the creation of the world to love him and to be loved. Let's look at another word we use a lot as a church, sanctification. We hear it a lot. What is sanctification? For those who've heard this, maybe they don't know what it means, I'll just take two minutes to explain. Before you become a Christian, all the things that you have done that are morally wrong before God, the Bible calls it sin. It separates you from knowing him and spending eternity with him. And the sin is paid for by death. The Bible calls death wages. You die once at the end of this life, but there's a second death for sinners, which the Bible calls hell, which is eternal punishment. Once you die, you are accountable to God for your life and for the sins in your life. And just like me and everyone else in this room, Every lie you've spoken and every moment of hatred for someone that God loves, every time you've stolen what isn't yours, every time you've dishonored your parents, are sinful times and sinful moments that separate you from God. And the penalty is death and separation from God after death. But Jesus came and he took that penalty. He paid for you on the cross so that the moment you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that he died for your sin and rose again. You are taken out of that state of sinfulness and placed into the kingdom of light. Once and for all. It's a one-time thing. Your sin is removed from you and you are made holy. You are sanctified by the grace of God through faith in his son. Do you get that? Yeah. The book of Hebrews says... Uh, which is in the New Testament. If you go to chapter 10 and verse 10, it says, and by that will we have been sanctified 
past tense. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. It's done and it's finished. Jesus' final words on the cross were, it is finished. No further work is needed. No acts of service are required. No subscription charge. There's no ads to watch. Just eternal forgiveness from God for all that has happened and all that will happen in your life. I wish someone told me that when I was younger. God begins at salvation his lifelong work of sanctifying you. So the the word is used twice, which is making you more and more like him. Your behaviors and your desires begin to change. Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, and we all are being transferred, transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So the true Christian, the true convert, will follow Jesus his whole life, a day by day, reject the hypocrisy of some people who say that they love God, but then they live out their life following their own pleasures and their own desires. So sanctification is both the work that is done in you when you become a Christian, and it's also the ongoing process of God making you more and more like Jesus every day. And if you're not a Christian today, and if you feel like God's stirring your heart and convicting you, now is the time to get right with God. Don't don't put God off. Don't try and clean yourself up before you come to him. You can come to him now and allow his grace to wash away the sin in your life. You can receive eternal life and accept that Jesus paid the price for your sin. So I'm just going to say a simple prayer, and you can say it with me in your hearts. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and my life and I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. You have been saved, brothers and sisters, once and for all time and you demonstrate, you demonstrate this salvation by your commitment to Jesus and the fruit of good works. It's proof. You are sanctified. You're set apart and holy. And through the continued sanctification of his Holy Spirit, you can live each day for Jesus. Let's take a brief look at verse 14 here. It says, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we display God-like qualities, we reflect the excellence of our Savior. When we allow God's word to shape us and we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we allow the glory of Jesus Christ to be made manifest among us. And it's also the eternal hope we have in our hearts. When it says here that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is what it means. That one day we will be with him in glory to inherit his kingdom as an heir. Romans chapter 8 verse 17 says that we are co-heirs with Christ if we suffer with him. And Sarah will touch on suffering later. Now legally I'm a co-heir with my sisters of my parents' estate when they pass on to glory. And that's a finite estate split four ways, because I have three sisters. 
But Christ's riches are unsearchable. He could make a universe of angels rich beyond measure, Spurgeon says. So when the Bible says that we share in his glory, nothing is diluted. It means that we one day will be seated at the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb when he meets his church and he gives them their eternal reward. It's beautiful. You are co-heirs with Christ. But look, look what the verse says here. It says that you're called through our gospel. What does it mean to be called? I mean, here the verse is speaking about predestination. Funny, we were just singing about that and about being chosen by God. Don't tie yourself in knots with predestination and free will. If, by your own free will, you chose to come here this morning and worship God, then you were predestined to do it by his grace. It's as simple as that, right? (laughs) But we can misuse the word call, I think, sometimes. We hear it a lot. God is calling me here. God is calling me there. I've no doubt that God brings a heart to move people on, but it's quite an easy phrase to say. And it kind of makes you unaccountable, doesn't it? I mean, who's going to argue with God? Paul regularly refers to himself as being called to be an apostle, which is someone who has responsibility for setting up and overseeing multiple churches. But he uses this term to remind the churches he writes to of his role and his office before God. This is a framework for the letter. We, each of us here, if we're Christians, we are all called by God. You haven't missed it. God hasn't forgotten you. You are called by God to share the glory of Jesus Christ. And this is your primary calling in life. You're called to live out and demonstrate the life of Jesus to those around you by laying yourself down for your friends, by loving your neighbors, even the grumpy ones, by treating people as you yourself would want to be treated, however small that act is. You are called to live the life that Christ lived. And by doing so, you demonstrate his glory and his love around you. And Jesus is made famous in your life. You are called to live a life sanctified by God. And you are qualified by the sanctifying work of Jesus. And by living out that walk with him, you share in his glory. For many, many years, perhaps over a decade, I disqualified myself from anything God could do. Not me, Lord. You have no idea what I'm really like. I'm broken, I'm dirty, I'm sinful, I'm wretched. Lord, you can't use me. Just leave me. I'll be a disaster. I'll be a hopeless case. I'll mess it up and I'll make a mockery of your name. I've got a slide here of blackthorn. I hate blackthorn. I hate that plant. For years, I used to cut and chip blackthorn that was on the side of motorways. And one time, I got the... You see those spikes? They will go through a Wellington boot. Let me tell you that. And the tip breaks off, and it goes septic really quickly. And I got a blackthorn spike embedded near my knuckle, and it was a tiny, tiny, tiny little black dot. There was no big wound or anything. But before too long, I had this inflamed, pussy knuckle. And I couldn't even bend my finger. It was just awful. I had to dig the tip out with a needle. I had to get that tip out. 
and the lies of the enemy embed themselves right in your life. And over time, they become septic. And if you leave them alone, it will inhibit your movement. Have you disqualified yourself? Have you convinced yourself you're not the right person to do this or that? Do you have an aspiration, but the enemy quickly snatched it away? God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I'm going to bring Sarah up now. Hey, I'm the wife. My name is Sarah, and this is my first time ever sharing on a Sunday, so I'm really nervous. Um, which, okay. Whew. So let me just start off by asking a question. <clears throat> what are your limitations? Because we will all, at some point, have limitations. It could be your time, it could be your kids, your education or your health. Not one of us will escape this life without experiencing limitations. It might be, I really want to serve in a particular way, but I'm at home with the kids. They need me. What about suffering? Anyone here suffering at the moment? Now, we will all at some point suffer. That is the sad reality of this life, but the Bible tells us repeatedly to stand firm. 2 Thessalonians Verse 15, then brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to these teachings. The context of this passage is that the Thessalonians are believing false doctrine. They're getting their beliefs confused and they're not living their best lives because of it. I think we can all agree that in today's day and age, there are so many false doctrines. We need to hold fast to what the Bible is saying, especially in moments of suffering. We need to stand firm. So I want to zoom in and talk for a few minutes about how we can stand firm in times of trials and in times of experiencing limitations, especially when we find ourselves going through these because it is then, like what Tom was saying, when the enemy can come knocking and we can become a bit more vulnerable to those lies, more vulnerable to that dodgy doctrine. And we must learn to stand firm in all circumstances. So before I go any further, I must emphasize, as we've already heard today, God is a God of comfort and he loves us beyond measure. When he instructs us to stand firm, he's not coming from a place of being grumpy with us. He, he's not bashing us over the head with demands. He's gently saying, I know what's best for you. I love you. Stand firm. He's rooting for you. Stand firm. But there'll be some of us today, maybe, who are thinking, stand Stand firm, I'm barely sitting. I'm clinging on by the skin of my teeth for whatever reason it could be. Life can be difficult, it looks different for different people. It can be so hard to hear, stand firm when life is hard. So I'd just like to encourage you quickly that you're not alone. Not alone. Our all-powerful God, who loves us beyond measure, he came to us as a man a man, imagine the limitations he must have felt. Imagine, he's created the stars and the planets and the universe, and he's born in a cattle shed into poverty. He was just, he felt limitations like we'll never feel them. And his whole life culminated in the suffering of death 
on a cross. So we must never think God doesn't understand. We must never feel like the Bible, it's not relevant to us today. He's been there. He knows. And he cares for us. He loves us. And what does he continue to say through his word? He says, stand firm. So here are just two things we can do to help us stand firm. Number one, get in the word. Get in the word. The Bible is full of encouragement and direction. There's so many examples of people suffering in terrible circumstances. And yet through standing firm, they are blessed. Their faith is strong. God uses them mightily. And how many of us here want to be used mightily? We're never told exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but we do know two things. We're never told that he's healed, and we know that God used him. He was pretty awesome. Oh, I've lost my place, sorry. (laughs) So we have Stephen was stoned. Mary, she saw her son crucified. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're thrown into a fiery blaze. So we can learn from these people when we come under fire. It's also worth remembering that when this life gets too much and there is suffering, pressures, dire circumstances, that is when the enemy comes knocking. That's when we can find ourselves surrounded by Blackthorn. (laughs) He loves to kick us when we're down, the enemy. He will say, you're not good enough. You're too tired and sick. You're too poor. And from personal experience... They don't know how much you're really going through it. You don't need to go to that meeting. But if we're spending enough time in our word every day, we can quickly identify those lies. We know that that's not the God. That's not what God says. That must be the enemy. The Bible will give you the tools you need to discern that and to know how he really sees you. Times of suffering can also leave us vulnerable to false, dodgy doctrines. I think we could all probably name a few ourselves. You might find yourself thinking, if if you're going through a time of suffering, it's my fault I'm not healed. Jesus is coming back soon, I'm just going to give up. For this reason also, we need to be in our Bibles every day, day and night. Let his truth soak into your mind, let it rub off on you, especially when you know that you're vulnerable at the moment because of limitations or suffering. Because the word of God is a double-edged sword. It will cut the enemy down. It will defend you. So the second thing we can do through suffering, praise anyway. We have so much to be thankful for, and I just, I really hope you don't think I'm being insensitive. But even on your very worst day, we could still find something to be thankful for. And if we're being honest, we don't always feel thankful. Suffering can make this even more so if we're not careful. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Gratitude changes our perspective and it begins to peel back the layers of loss to reveal goodness underneath. You see, praise, it turns our focus off of ourselves and onto God. Now, this isn't saying we all need to pretend we're okay. We're going to come to God. We're going to say, you know what? It's not that bad. I'm okay. Praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. I can just lie and deny my current suffering. No, he's saying, come to me when you're suffering. 
Enjoy my presence when you're suffering. Praise me anyway, because yes, I am good. But also getting into his presence and praising him is what is good for you. It will help. It's also a discipline, praising through the hard times, that we must practice if we're to be successful in standing firm. Okay, this gets a bit personal now. So not many of you will know this about me, but I have a genetic health condition, which means my body goes through a lot of difficulties sometimes. And oh, Just under three years ago, I developed a tremor, a new symptom for me. Although if you see me shaking right now, it's 100% nerves, I can assure you. So my whole body started trembling. And um, muscles randomly twitch and jerk out of place and um, I have these violent tics and you can ask Emmy the other day I threw a cup of tea over myself in a prayer meeting it's become a bit of a crowd pleaser actually um, but before the joy of medication three years ago um, the worst symptom was definitely the lack of sleep I have so many memories I was just shouting in frustration at night time crying sobbing the relentlessness of it and in the middle of the night oh my goodness that's when the enemy came and the lies were just thick and fast and I'll never be good enough. I'm so out of control of this body. My life is now ruined forever. And I think the worst ones were, I'm a useless mother. I'm a terrible wife. They'd be better off without me. It's just lies. And this one day I read in Philippians 3, verse 7, I consider all things lost because of the worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And that verse, it had such an impact on me. I thought, there's no way I can get there. I just, I want to get to a place in my faith, Lord, where the worth of knowing you is so much in my life that I'm not so distracted by my suffering. Um, so I prayed and I said, God, you know, just help me put you first in everything. Help me to see your glory and seek your comfort in everything. Because I can't do this on my own strength. This is, this is horrible. So, yeah, I prayed. 2 a.m. came around again. And I went down to the lounge, dead of the night, so frustrated. And just crept down there and got on my knees. And I just worshipped. And I just said, God, my, my legs are fizzing. And I had this muscle in my cheek and it jumped for about two weeks. It was driving me crazy. My body was aching and my was shaking. And I said, God, this body, I just feel like it is driving me insane. But just right now, in this moment, I'm not looking at my body. I want to look to you. Right now, in this moment, I'm looking to you. And I just prayed and I worshipped. When I didn't have words, I just used tongues. I just sang random songs you know it wasn't pretty but the shift in my focus and my mental health just from that moment I mean it's kept me going until today and so I'm not saying you know oh if you're going through suffering beat yourself over the head and make sure you worship I'm, I'm what I'm trying to say is he will comfort you he'll meet you where you are he will give you in those times parts of himself he will impart things to you that will keep you going so if you want to learn to stand firm through trials and limitations read your bible every day praise more 
And you know that Christian saying, it's really cheesy, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. I just, like, I just felt like I should throw that into this message because you see sometimes when we're going through times of limitations and suffering, our circumstances are bad. And you know, it really can be anything like health or family breakdown, anxiety, addiction, any of those things, we can so quickly discredit ourselves. And I love that this morning God's so clearly been talking about his comfort and how we, can, we don't need to clean ourselves up. We don't need to pretend everything's okay. We can come into his presence and he can still use you. He can still give you things to share, things to do. You have a purpose as you stand firm in him. Okay, so finally... We've heard that the Thessalonians were told to stand firm, but Paul closes the chapter in praying for them, praying that their hearts would be strengthened in every good deed and word. And I definitely could do with some of that strength. So if you are also like that, and you could do with a bit of that strength this morning, that you could do with some good deeds, some good words, if you're struggling, anything at all, or if you're just feeling limited by your circumstances, We're going to have a prayer team over here at the end of the service. We'd love to pray with you. I'm going to hand back to Tom. That's great. Thanks, Sarah. We're going to um, just bring a final point here before we close. And um, if I could have the band up. We're going to have a little bit longer after this to worship and to respond and to come before God. But essentially, don't disqualify yourself before God. He called you and he qualifies you. He calls you to share in his glory. He calls you to share in his plan and his purposes. Through your limitations and through your suffering to walk in his goodness and to see his plan and his kingdom unfold before you. Have you disqualified yourself before God? Well, he qualifies you. Have you held back from his calling? He's calling you afresh this morning. Have your limitations held you back? He's calling you to stand firm. Are you facing trials and disappointments in life? He's calling you to think again. Have you become weary? He calls you to strengthen you. Have you lost hope? He offers you a good hope. Has the enemy been lying to you? God wants to speak truth in your life. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to minister to people today to renew them, to strengthen them, to equip them, to empower them, to qualify them, and to fill them. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time of worship. But come and receive prayer if that's something that God is pressing on your heart. Lord God, we thank you that we bring nothing this morning and you bring everything. Lord, you predestined us. You saw us before the creation of the world. You saw every day of our life. You saw the hairs on our head. You saw our darkest day. You saw our most awful moments and you stood up and you said, I want that child and I'll do anything to have them. Lord, you bring your spirit You pour your spirit out. You give us your son. Lord, you do everything for us. All we have to do is stand firm and look to you as our Father God. So as we stand this morning, Lord God, I pray you would meet with many, many people. 
Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you be poured out on this church? Lord, would the desert places be turned into forest? Lord, would the rivers be running again? Lord God, would you be poured out on each of us who are thirsty for you this morning in your goodness and by your grace? Amen.